1933, after Hitler rose to power, life radically changed for Christians of the German Lutheran State Church. An inner church party styling themselves German Christians Nazified the church, banning Jewish descent clergy, stripping the Old Testament from the Bible, and even denying Jesus' Jewish ancestry. Their motto, Ein Volk, Ein Reich, Ein Führer und Ein Gott. One people, one realm, one leader, and one God. To, to combat these heresies, a counter-movement called the Confessing Church was born. Led by Swiss theologian Karl Barth, they penned the Barman Declaration in 1934, which emphasized the authority of Jesus Christ over the authority of the secular power. It also rejected the state's subjugation of the church in these words. We reject the false doctrine that beyond its special commission, the state should and could become the sole and total order of human life and so fulfill the vocation of the church as well. Powerful words. But after the humiliation of the First World War and a brutal depression, the lure of a na nationalist folkish pride was just too appealing for most people. Confessing church pastors were often stripped of their pulpits. Some were conscripted into military service. Others were imprisoned. And by 1935, contributions to confessing church congregations were illegal, driving them underground. Most of their pastors eventually did take a loyalty oath to Hitler, which depleted their ranks further. By 1935, the need for a new seminary of the remaining congregations of the Confessing Church was needed, an underground seminary. I know this is a history lesson to start off, but just bear with me. It's going somewhere. <laughs> Lutheran theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his friend Eberhard Beitka started such a seminary at Finkenwalde, which is now in modern-day Poland. For two years, Bonhoeffer led the seminary, eschewing the the prestigious title of Herr Director, he preferred to be addressed as simply Brother Bonhoeffer. He emphasized daily prayer and meditation on scripture, practices which German Protestantism had often shuttled aside in favor of pure academics. He required the students to confess their sins to each other before receiving Holy Communion. Can you imagine that kind of a practice making a return? And, this is the best one, he, for, he forbade the brothers from talking about another brother who wasn't in the room. And they failed often at this one. In fact, the, the practice was, if that happened, the offending brother was supposed to go to the other brother and confess that sin immediately. Bonhoeffer placed a premium on telling the truth. Not only the truth about something, but also the truth for and with each other. However, by 1937, the Gestapo had enough and shut the seminary down. 
following year, Bonhoeffer wrote a little book about this experiment in Christian community called Life Together. And it's a wonderful little book. Bonhoeffer was clear in this book, Finkenwaldo was no utopian. It was no perfect snapshot of the church. It wasn't a place of perfect peace and harmony. It wasn't an ideal church. Bonhoeffer rejected the very idea that there could, on this side of heaven, be an ideal church. Such an ideal, of course, is based on an illusion of how we think other people should be, rather than how they actually are. He warned, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of Christian community. Even though their personal intentions are ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Finkenwaldo faced the same temptations and encountered the same illusions that every Christian community has. So often, we want the people of the church to be more forgiving, to be more caring, to be more loving, more compassionate than, quite frankly, they have the capacity to be. Sure, we often do good, kind, caring things for each other, but we also regularly fail to do them. Christians are just as prone to unforgiveness, to judgmentalism, to gossiping, and to untruth as anybody else. We are just as liable to break the Ten Commandments, and I do mean all ten, as anyone else. We are also very good at justifying our sinful actions. Well, so-and-so did that to me, so I had no choice but to do this. Sound familiar? When the disillusionment shatter, people often harbor deep resentments about the church. You hear statements like, well, those Christians sure don't act very Christian, do they? And some do leave. Several of my seminary colleagues, by the way, including myself, had that very reaction within the first month of seminary. It didn't take long. And yes, a few did leave. Yet when we read the third letter of John, we see that such sinful behavior is nothing new. Third John is a genuine letter of the elder. We heard from him last week. It is rare that it is written, it is a rare letter, and that it is written from one person, one individual, to another individual. The recipient is Gaius, probably the leader of a local house church. And in this letter, we learn about another local church leader named Diotrephes. Diotrephes is refusing to provide hospitality to people the elder sends. Why? We don't know. The elder is remarkably restrained. He simply says that Diotrephes is spreading nonsense. There's another English idiom for that, which I cannot say from the pulpit, but you know what it is. And asked for financial support for the people he is sending to Gaius. At first glance, it doesn't seem like a particularly edifying letter for one's faith. No. Where's the hope of the re resurrection? What is proclaiming Christ here? But there's another theme to this letter, and that's one that connects to John's gospel. 
The elder mentions truth several times. He loves his friend Gaius in truth. He mentions his joy at at hearing that Gaius is walking in truth and says he takes no greater joy when he hears that his spiritual children likewise walk in the truth, that they live a truthful life. For the elder, as for John's gospel, the truth is not some sort of abstract concept. That's one of those things that we unfortunately do a lot as Lutherans. We make faith merely a thing of the mind, something abstract. That's not the case here. The truth isn't abstract. It isn't unknowable or out of reach. The truth is a person. The truth is a flesh and blood person who walked the earth, who was in the beginning with God and is himself God. The truth is Jesus Christ. In a world of lies and deceit, of propaganda and self-justification, of ego and ambition, of ideology, and yes, of politics, Jesus Christ stands alone as our truth. He is our light in the obfuscating darkness of our age, In his life, ministry, suffering, death, and rising again, he he revealed all these things for what they are. Lies, half-truths, illusions, deceptions. He is the alternative to the destructive lies of our age which tear churches, families, and even nations apart. He is the alternative to all self-aggrandizement, to all self-justification. Well, I had to do this. He is the alternative to any claim of goodness we might make for ourselves. The truth is, we don't possess goodness in any great measure. We just do not. But Jesus Christ freely gives himself to us to know and to love as our truth. Salvation, like truth, is not an abstract academic concept, but a genuine reality in Jesus Christ, one that we are going to actually eat and drink at this table here in a few few minutes. He takes on all our illusions, all our falsehoods, all our lies, and he gives us forgiveness. He gives us Humanity. He gives us life. And he gives us of himself. He gives us truth, which truly does set us free. However, it takes a lifetime to learn to live in that freedom. That is the Christian life. Learning to live in the freedom that Jesus Christ has already given to us. It is like getting an amazing well-tailored adult suit as a child. Or for me, going to uh, Simply Safe and getting this jacket and finding out it's a couple sizes too small, and so I better drop some weight. We are assured that we will be able to wear it well eventually. But for now, it's kind of like playing dress-up in mom and dad's clothes. That's what living in that freedom of Christ is like on this side of heaven. The Christian life is, in a sense, 
about growing up. We make so many mistakes as we do so. We try to live in a grace-filled way, but we often fail. But it is those failures which are integral, really, to growing into the freedom and truth of Christ. Because we all need forgiveness. We all need a fresh start. We don't get ideal Christians on this side of heaven. Rather, we get flawed people. People like us. Trying to wear heavenly clothing that's a few sizes too big. Yet Christ remains our way, our truth, and our life. And he will set us free. Not only from our illusions, from our sins, but also from our illusions about each other. And that is wonderful news. Thanks be to God. Amen.